That's gonna sound funny with my, <laughs> my voice. Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast. A lot of you have been asking me about competitions in math, computer science and physics. Last week I made a video about math competitions and how to prepare for them. But I'm not an expert for computer science. So therefore I reached out to my old friend from high school, Dominique Leich who went to a lot of informatics competitions. He started in middle school, all the way through high school, went to the International Informatics Olympiad so many times, and he got offered a job at Google basically straight out of high school. He later worked for Google and for Jane Street, a trading company, and is currently starting his own crypto startup. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Dominic, so much for being on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you about, first of all, computer science competitions, and then later we can also chat about some of your amazing internships. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for being here. Um, just for everyone to know, so we went to the same high school together. Uh, we were always a super smart kid uh, who went to all the computer science competitions, even I think in elementary school, right? Mm, yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, so tell us, when did you get started with computer science? I think it all started in the fifth or sixth grade. I think fifth grade of elementary school. My uh, oh, wow. yeah, my elementary school informatics teacher like gave me an opportunity to be a part of competitions. I actually studied with her because it was something new for her as well. You know, nice. she she didn't have any students before in those competitions, so she started studying with me a bit, and that's how so, we all got into into that kind of computer science game there at that time in the elementary school. That's so cool. So yeah. fifth grade, you already knew how to code stuff. Yeah, it was it was really basic stuff, you know. It was Still. some some simple if 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 stuff and you know so, some simple calculation stuff like yeah, that. Like, yeah. But I then started, I guess, uh, I I passed to the national competition in the sixth grade, I think. Uh, then again in the seventh. But I was like, uh, I was I think usually eight. I think I was eight in the sixth grade and the seventh grade on the national competition. Mm -hmm. So then, on the in the seventh grade, I actually decided I'm gonna start, you know, actually studying that pro. and actually, yeah, actually, you know, force myself to be better at it mm -hmm. and be more involved in every part of the way there. And the teacher kind of couldn't keep up, maybe because she didn't have that much of a time, you know, to actually study yeah. with me. But I distinctly remember we were coming back, you know, from the national competition and we were in the bus and then I started, you know, practicing for the next year. <laughs> and that was in the seventh grade. And then in the eighth grade, I finished third. So that was a, a, a bit of a bump, you know, from the sixth and the fifth, sixth and the seventh grade. And then from there on, we, we, we were high school classmates, right, Samuel? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, that was so cool. You know, it's always interesting to hear that because I think at that time, like fifth grade, when you started coding, I think in my elementary school we were still at the how to turn on and off a computer part. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that's literally the only thing our teacher knew how to do. Hmm. Uh, he didn't study computer science. He was like responsible for some technical. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Subject. Usually teachers do like physics uh, plus yeah. the what's it called technical culture or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Creation and also computer science stuff or informatics yeah. as they call it. At and the then time. they were probably like, okay, who's going to teach computer science so it's not going to be the history teacher so it's got to be that guy. <laughs> and that's what I did. But yeah, I mean, it's always, always really helps to have a teacher who's like involved with that just to get you yeah, started. Yeah, it was, it was a very nice start because it's, it felt, you know, like someone actually cares about you studying something and gives you some kind of a push to actually mm -hmm. do that, you know, because otherwise it would be very hard to 
actually start making an effort there because yeah. when you see a teacher doing an active effort with you maybe individually or in the group that we were it was a, a few of us there if i i remember correctly mm -hmm. you know it always feels better and more encouraging yeah. so that's a that's a big big thumbs up from my uh, elementary school yeah. uh, teacher naditsa yeah and everyone needs that some factor that you need to get started so in this podcast i had like a lot of really brilliant computer scientists um and you know it's always interesting to see you know some of them you know maybe their parents were computer scientists so that made like the click in their head to go in that direction for you it was your teacher for me i mean i didn't first go into computer science competitions i did physics but for me it was like in high school when i saw well i think it was i remember specifically it was you and vladka one girl in our in our class she was doing math we were doing computer science and i just thought okay well, these two courses are kind of taken, so I want to do physics as like the third option, <laughs> which was good. Now we yeah. ended up being three people yeah. going to three like national Olympiads in math, yeah. computer yeah. science, and uh, physics. So can you tell us what was like the first thing that you learned in, in coding, and how did you work on that? Look, like I think my first programming language that I used was Quick Basic, you know. Mm -hmm. But I was always interested in computers, and during the whole elementary school, I was doing some coding on the side, not related really to, you know, competitions. It was like some stuff in Visual Basic and some GUI applications and you know more of a general type of coding there like mm -hmm. competitions were more secondary at that time I think yeah, yeah. until the seventh grade or, or the eighth grade when I started being more practicing more and then that continued on to the first and second year of high school and, and so forth yeah. yeah because the competitions are mostly like algorithm focused right? yeah like like when it comes to computer science, what I like most about those competitions is a lot of those problems that you're solving there don't really require that much of an extensive knowledge before, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like you can read a problem and if you're, I guess, worst in math, at least some, some part and you have kind of a logical brain there, uh, you can understand what the problem is and you maybe can start thinking about it. It's no, you know, it's more easy easily more accessible for people to actually start doing something there mm -hmm. at least that that's what i feel about it since i don't feel like it requires a lot of knowledge beforehand right. you sure need some knowledge during the competitions of some data structures that could help you and make the whole thing a lot easier for you because you don't have to reinvent the wheel but still a lot of the problems could be solved with very good logic and yeah. i think there is a, a lot of people that were very good at math competitions that were you know, from the start, when they started doing uh, computer science stuff, were quite good at that, at least a lot better than the average person coming in there just because of that mathematical intuition and yeah. knowledge that, that you can stem from across the field, like it's the same for physics or oh, yeah. whatever. Yeah, All of those branches kind of teaches you how to think about stuff instead of teaching you how yeah. to solve the exact thing. So you always try to get a lesson from, you know, if I solve this problem or I didn't know how to solve the problem and I look at the solution, I'm thinking, okay, what would be the steps required for me to think of the same solution? Like you're thinking about how to think about the solution, not, mm -hmm. not actually what's the solution like. It's not that important what's the solution, but it's important how to think about getting to the solution. Yeah, the right, right mindset. You mentioned yeah. the mathematical intuition. I made a video about how to develop a good mathematical intuition. Mm -hmm. I believe that's the foundation of everything, not just math competitions, but also computer science, physics, business, or anything in life. You need to intuitively understand logic and numbers. And important part is really what you just mentioned you kind of you know like all the technical stuff that you learn is kind of tools but the important part is like knowing how to apply these tools i mean basically you can do a lot of stuff if you just know for loops and if statements basically mm -hmm. 
that basically already covers. everything you can do basically everything yeah. yeah since it's turning complete but yeah okay yeah okay <laughs> even in theory like it's turning complete you can do everything but right. also in practice like you can do most things with that plus maybe a few other additions right hmm. um if you're like really smart and figure these things out yeah um i think like learning how to become how to solve difficult problems with simple tools is better than learning a lot of tools and then yeah yeah that's, that's exactly them. exactly true because a lot of those complex methodologies are just like a generalization of the some basic idea that could be applied to that specific case mm -hmm. so in a lot of cases you might know a data structure that kind of solves the problem but it's basically like how we would call it an overkill in yeah. that regard because you don't actually need that kind yeah, of a data structure overkill. there you know yeah and what was like the literature or where did you get your knowledge from? Well, I think most of my knowledge came from, we, we did have some in, in high school, you know, we had classes, mm -hmm. but most of those were maybe more based around solving tasks and maybe making you still being active in, you know, practicing for the competition. I think most of the knowledge just comes from Wikipedia. Like it's Not like really. you read the Wikipedia and I mean, I, I remember I made my mom buy me uh, Sedwick's books about algorithms, parts mm -hmm. one, four and part five, I think it's for graphs. I had a brief look through them and a few stuff, but didn't that actually use them, you know. But I think the internet is a good source as any. There is some competitions that you can solve there. I think Code Forces is now a very good platform for Code for such stuff. Yeah, Code Forces. Oh, yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, they have some blog posts. They when they they explain some solutions or they explain specific data structures that some other users explain. And you can get a lot of, you know, really complicated stuff made uh, really simple. I also remember Top Coder articles. Mm -hmm. That was more during my time, like maybe that was for uh, dynamic programming and stuff like that. I remember reading on Top Coder about it. And then when it comes to like more, some more advanced stuff, you basically find whatever works for you to understand yeah. on the internet. It's, I, I think mean, it's, competitions it's just, themselves, right? Yeah, I mean, competitions yeah. themselves, but I think when you want to maybe learn something new, like, I, I don't know, I remember I wanted to learn uh, Fast Fourier Transform, and I found an article on the web, and I just looked through it, you know, and yeah, figured figure it out it on out the paper then. as well, and yeah, then, then I could actually apply it, maybe some task or something, because it's... It's pretty. Some, in some instances, that kind of specific thing is kind of theoretical until you come to a task that actually uses it. It's not that often because mm -hmm. competitions try to avoid such, let's say, advanced algorithms being used because they want to make it accessible for everyone that's solving the task. Yeah. Instead of just knowing, you know, I know this algorithm, I'm going to throw it in at this task yeah. and that's going to solve, solve my problem. Yeah, that, that would be kind of unfair. To yeah, I mean, I feel like Matt maybe has more of those stuff, you know, like uh, in, in some some parts because yeah, it's so standard more like tricks. yeah, standard tricks and then standard, I don't know, areas of interest on the competitions like I don't know Vieta jumpings or, or something like that. It's yeah. famous on the Olympiads, or at least it started to be famous at one point, right? Mm -hmm. And then you start getting problems with that. I mean, some of the similar stuff happened with the computer science stuff as well. But I always feel like when, when there is a really good task, it doesn't get solved that easily by a specific algorithm. That, yeah. That's kind of what differentiates a good good problem from a bad problem, like when it comes to computer science Yeah, that, that's, that's totally true. And I think yeah. it also applies to physics to some degree and to math kind of completely. Um, yeah. Now you just mentioned the Olympics. That's actually, I should maybe explain how, how in Croatia these competitions work. So we always have... Well, every school typically has a competition for every course, so math, physics, but even like some random courses. Then if you, if you shouldn't call them random courses, but yeah. <laughs> other courses. Other, other courses, yeah. Um, then when you, when you do well in that, you can go like to a district, mm -hmm. like with a few schools, and then you go to the whole state, yeah. and then you go to the whole country, and then it varies a little bit, but once you're like one of the best in the country in a natural competition, then you can qualify for the International Olympiad. Yeah, like for yeah. the computer science stuff, it's like 
uh, for the computer science stuff, I think it was kind of a hybrid approach between the you know nation national competition mm -hmm. and a specific competition that was being held every Sunday or Saturday. I'm not sure anymore. I think Saturday maybe mm -hmm. uh, in the in the mornings for for like six or seven rounds, and then they rank the people from those competitions mm -hmm. uh, and uh, state competition, and they do some mix up of points and something, and then they decide. Uh, who they are going to call to the Croatian Informatics Olympiad. Oh, I and see. And then we have we had that, and after that, a few people from there, like eight, come to the, I don't know what to call it in English, it's uh, preparation exams, mm -hmm. something, something like that. There is two preparation exams there. It's kind of an approach where you have some part of it is studying about new stuff. It's kind of preparing you for the Olympiad, but mm -hmm. on some days you have the exam. It's like one day of preparations, one day no exam, preparations exam. Then they sum up the results from those two exams, and that's across all the grades of the high school. And the best four go to the Olympiad. It's like that. Four people, yeah. Four people, yeah. Um, there exists the International Olympiad, but didn't there also exist some regional ones? Uh, right, yeah, but both yeah. are the same people that are going there. Oh, I yeah. see. Which Only in cases yeah. when uh, some people from, you, you have like a main team, and those four people make the main team, and mm -hmm. every one of them will go to the Central European Olympiad oh, as well, yeah. if they can. If they cannot, there is a substitution, like the yeah. two, second, fifth and sixth place uh, are like a substitution, yeah. so they come in if the if the main person can, yeah, because of sense. other Olympiad maybe happening, or uh, sometimes, you know, the math Olympiad gets in the way of, I think, Central European Olympiad in informatics of some of the people who go to yeah, the, They want to go to the primary math Olympiad as opposed to Central European Informatics Olympiad, so sometimes a substitution yeah, yeah. goes there. I remember that happening. So, uh, in the first time you qualified for the International mm -hmm. Informatics Olympiad was in the 10th grade, right? Uh, the second grade. Second grade of high school, yes, which is the 10th grade, grade yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in like total. Yeah. yeah, we have eight grades of elementary school and four grades of high school, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah. That's super early. Were you one of the youngest people who ever went there from Croatia? Uh, I think maybe in the f some group of people that were younger, not definitely mm -hmm. the youngest. I think Goran Jujic was the youngest there mm -hmm. because I think he qualified in the first grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically, came there out of high school. Uh, yeah. Sorry, elementary school, essentially. Yeah, I, I was yeah. the first substitution in the first grade, so I missed that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think he was the youngest person ever who qualified here from from here. But I think the in the computer science compute competitive programming, like there is no one better than uh, Gennady, uh, and he is from Belarus and he like he went in the sixth grade of elementary school or something. <laughs> I think maybe seventh. I, I'm not sure. Sixth exactly. grade elementary Yeah, something school. like that. And he's um, been kicking ass since then. But you know, there's one person. Um, uh, Lisa Sauer, I think is her name. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a so she went, I think she won four gold medals, now don't quote me that, I think four <laughs> gold medals, at least one silver medal, probably two, and potentially one bronze medal, so, some, something like that. It's in so physics or? In mathematics. In math. In math. Uh, yeah, and she, she's from Germany. She and like one guy from Serbia, they have like, they hold the record for the most medals. So they went there as little kids basically, mm. already, like way before high school. Uh, like they could totally nail that. And then, you know, somehow I started thinking about hearing that like a few years, like a few days ago. And um, I just Googled like what she does and I was like, oh, she just became a professor at MIT. <laughs> yeah, coincidence. I, it's a coincidence. Actually, I emailed her because like I would like to have a similar discussion like about, about math specifically. She hasn't replied to me yet, but... She will after this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to knock on her yeah, office. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the 
Chinese have a, like an interesting approach to those qualifications and the competition. I think that when someone qualifies, they have a whole year of school free yeah. because they're preparing for the competition. That it, just, it used to be two years, actually. Two years, really. And, but at least in physics, I think they forbade it. <laughs> because it was, it was, I mean, I don't want to call it like torture in some way, but it was like really intense. Like for, mm. you know, these kids, they were basically like put in the basement for two years mm. just doing that. Yeah, do they have that uh, like limit of only attending once or something? I think I've heard of that, that they, they can only go once to the Olympiad. Maybe, yeah. Because they usually get all the gold medals, so there is no point in them going twice. You have to give someone else a chance, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. They usually do get the gold medal. I remember one time in physics there was one Chinese student who won a bronze medal. I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh my god, and no one knows, huh? They're, they're like a responsible <laughs> person like who is in charge of these competitions. She started crying. Like my mentor told me that like, they were both there and she like started crying because like it was a disaster for her. Yeah, they, they take yeah. it, it's too intense. You know, yeah, that's intense. I mean, it's supposed to be a fun competition yeah, at the end of yeah. the day. I, I enjoyed it, I'm sure you enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Um, it gave us like great advances for our careers. But you know, it's not. it doesn't have to be that intense. Um, True. In the end yeah. of the day, it's just a competition, right? Yeah, it's just a competition. It's it's never good when you put too high of an expectation on someone. You know, it just it, it's good to have expectations. It's good yeah. to be ambitious, but sometimes there is a line that yeah. shouldn't be crossed. That that just makes some kind some kind of you know a stress on someone that yeah. might make them perform bad. Yeah. Because it's just too intense, and you kind of have to have a childhood. That's also yeah. You have to have a balance years, there. Yeah. yeah. That's that's completely true. Um, so. Since since you went to these competitions, I think that also gave you like obviously a great head start in like when you studied, as well for internships. So I mm -hmm. think, um, so you worked for Google. You already got your first internship after your just first year. Yeah, yeah, right? um, which is yeah. crazy, right? That really yeah, happens. Yeah. So yeah, it was an internship in Google Zurich in Google security team. I worked worked mostly on some Android stuff and integration. Me can't talk too much about it, but. Uh, yeah. some, some mobile kind of integration with Android and uh, some of the security stuff that Google uses internally. So oh, that yeah. was I was working on, but uh, but yeah, competitions did help uh, nailing the interview, you know, since most of those interviews are algorithmic, you know, in nature. Yeah. It kind of helps you breeze through it, you know, you don't have to come, you know, really have to prepare for it. Because whatever you get on the interview is far easier than what you get in, the in, the, in a competition, yeah. right? So. It wasn't that hard to pass those interviews. The rest is like, you know, showing an interest in computer science. I had some projects as well that I did myself personally during the earlier years. Mm -hmm. And I was always doing stuff, you know, with computers and so on. So yeah. it wasn't that, that hard to get it. I mean, it was it was hard from some companies. I know that I, got, I didn't even get a response or something, you know, few yeah, companies. But I remember for really Google, it was, it was funny because I wanted to apply for an internship, and instead the Google recruiter approached me and asked me, do I want to apply for a full-time position? <laughs> After one like, year I, at the university. Yeah, yeah, I think they didn't or even know how year. old I was. They just saw some result from Google Code Jam or something. Mm -hmm. And then they want, wanted to interview me for a full-time. I was like, <laughs> can you please forward this to someone who can get me an internship? I don't want to work in full-time, you know? <laughs> And then uh, I think I think some friend maybe reached out to someone from Google, and then that, that's how I got an interview. Oh, I mean, I it's it's always better to do it like that if you can, yeah, because you know it, they just get a lot of interview. In, oh, sorry, not interviews, but CVs, you know. Yeah. And you know, some filters don't pass. They have some automated process, I think. Yeah. And when you don't get passed through the filter, you just don't come to the recruiters. Yeah. You know? So I have a little fun story about all of that. So I remember, you know, I mean, you were obviously like really, really good at these competitions in computer science. 
And then, you know, you're always joking like that, all of these things are too easy. Then you went to university and you were kind of, you seemed kind of bored in the first year, I remember that. And when you finally got your internship in Google, I was like, okay, now finally he's going to have something that's challenging for him. And then I think just two weeks into your internship, you completed the entire project for your whole internship. We're like, oh yeah, I'm done now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was like an experimental project or something. Yeah. It was not something that they... I mean, it was a very good project, I think. Like, mm -hmm. from all my internships, I think it was the most interesting and most fun I always had. That's why I finished it so quickly, because I was mm -hmm. very enthusiastic about finishing it. Yeah. You know, because I, I wanted to make it work, you know. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was maybe to last three or four weeks. weeks. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. Rest of the rest of the internship I spent, you know, on fixing bugs and maybe some features and mm -hmm. some demo presentations. We had some meetings with some of the a more wide Google team because we wanted to get some permissions for, for getting access to some APIs. But mm -hmm. I, I think the whole project didn't go somewhere in the end because it just got scrapped. And it was, it was in the time of the stage fright, if you remember, mm -hmm. with the Androids and all the security issues. So the whole Android team was pretty strict on anything changing in the Android yeah. you know, infrastructure. So we couldn't make a big change there, even though it was, it was something that could help. You know. Some of the Googlers use their Google phone more easily because usually you have to give more permission to Google when you use an Android phone than mm -hmm. when you use an iPhone. Oh, really? Yeah. They, like if you give an Android phone, you have to give them permission to wipe your data from your phone if you want to use a corporate account there. Really? But for the iPhone, you don't have to do that. And they say that iPhone is more secure there. So that, oh, was, wow, that, yeah. that was at that time. But uh, Okay, yeah. It, it was interesting, you know. Yeah. But I remember it was, visiting it was a great you in Zurich, by the way, yeah. at that time. What yeah. do you remember? Sorry. I remember visiting you in Zurich oh. at that time. There was good food in the office. I remember that. <laughs> and I remember also there was just a point where you were <laughs> done with your project. in New York as well. You also ate the food. Yeah, <laughs> next year, so, uh, Dominic was in New York, in, also working for Google. Mm -hmm. Uh, the next summer, so I also visited you. I, I worked for Show for the hedge fund. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, and they sent me, I was based in London, but they sent me on a New York trip. Mm. That was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Zurich yeah. <laughs> is expensive, yet, but it's it's very, it's a great city. It's a great city, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. you kind of got the nicest locations in some way from Google, right? Uh, we were, uh, I was with my friend, I don't know, maybe we were like 15 minutes with a tram or something. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that far, but it, it was a good location near the lake. Uh, but even in terms good. of cities, I mean, Google has offices mm -hmm. everywhere. But I would argue probably Zurich is probably one of the coolest cities in New York as well. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I think I agree with you. Like from all the interests I had, I definitely yeah. prefer the Zurich location. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's the best city at least for me because it kind of feels like it has that balance between work and, you know, actually having a social life or fun yeah. or whatever. I mean, New York too, right? It's, there's so much to do. Yeah, there. but New York is more, you know, everyone's rushing somewhere. That, that's how yeah, I would okay, describe New York. True. You know, everyone's on the subway. Someone's, everyone's rushing there. You don't have that feeling in Zurich, you know? Yeah. It's more laid back. At least it, that's what it seemed to me. I mean, yeah, yeah. I went did went to work later in in Zurich, like later in the in the morning. I mean, mm -hmm. and then in the New York, but still, it, it felt more at ease, you know. Well, I remember, but in New York, so I think you were on a very late sleep schedule before you moved to New York. Yeah. And then when you well. went to New York, you said you had no jet lag simply because <laughs> you just switched back to normal schedule to arrive at work that's like eight or nine. True. Yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah. It's very smart. Like you just have to move a bit west, and suddenly you're in a normal. Yeah, schedule. but in Zurich, when we were there, I, I remember my friend. Uh, we sometimes, you know, we the the latest lunch at Google was I think at two p.m. Mm -hmm. But don't take me for granted; it could have been three p.m. I remember him saying to me that sometimes he was too late for the lunch. 
I would do that too. I normally have lunch at three. <laughs> yeah, but he was like too late because he wasn't in the office till that time. Oh, you know? wait, yeah, that's the yeah, time he would arrive yeah, in the yeah, office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would come at like two and maybe stay till eight, nine, whatever. <laughs> I mean, he did get everything done and he was excellent there, but uh, it was uh, it was nice of the schedule we had. I mean, mm-hmm. I usually arrive there, I think, at like 10, 11, maybe something yeah, like that. In, that's in, how I in, right in New York, I think it was like 10 almost every day oh yeah i had an older boss so oh yeah more traditional style yeah Yeah. i can't mess around and i think so working hours what do you think about them were they fine uh i mean no one forces you to work any specific times you Mm know uh i think the pressure might come from your peers or it might come you know from from you internally it's not like your boss is saying you should work this much or that much i remember when i was in syria there was a a specific a friend was there and uh, she had someone on her team and that girl was working to exhaustion it, it was oh. like crazy everyone told on, me about that everyone on her team was feeling bad because this girl was working so much she worked mm-hmm. weekends she basically slept in the office basically oh my god so i mean i remember having an argument with her because she was saying like that's that's not okay toward the rest of the team but i mean i, I was more on the front of you know everyone can work as they want like it's yeah. not okay for you to tell someone don't work that much just because you don't want to work yeah. that much you know it's just that's the way life is you it's can't make right everything it, fair yeah. it's just if someone wants to make more of an effort it's mm-hmm. it's their gain not necessarily your loss like yeah i mean that's completely true yeah so um, that, that was what i was thinking there but there are some people that are working like that but i don't feel like anyone's compelled to do work that long or anything in Google at, I mean, most and the of the perks are really nice, right? Mm-hmm. The offices are beautiful. The offices are beautiful. Yeah. They kind of do have the, you know, stuff that makes you want to stay in the office, right? Yeah. There are some kind of games, studios, cinemas. Yeah, free food, gym. Yeah, exactly. Cetera, I mean, yeah. the whole schedule of, you know, food is set up in a way that you stay in the office. Yeah. Because the food is like, I think dinner is at six and the breakfast is, I think, until like it ends at 10 a.m i think breakfast or something like that so essentially you have no cost of living other you yeah. actually no cost of living if they pay for accommodation yes yeah. yes and, and you can even go towards during the weekends and go there and maybe we went a few times because there's a cinema inside so we, we put on some movie and we watched it in the oh, mini cool. cinema in google that was cool so no cost of living essentially you can keep everything that you earn well yeah basically i mean yeah. now, okay obviously like you're gonna have you some have fun to, yeah you're gonna have some fun but yeah but you you remember that story i told you about the aquarium in so basically as, <laughs> as you might recall there is an aquarium room there in google yeah. and um, it's like it has a bunch of aquariums I and mean, you have some kind of napping pots or Wait, like actual cups. aquariums with fishes inside? actual aquariums with fishes like mm-hmm. a bunch of them like this yeah and okay. it's in the room maybe i don't know 12 13 meters long mm-hmm. and it has like four or five aquariums and it's all in kind of bluish light Mm -hmm. and dark and i went there i wanted to get like some relaxation for like 45 minutes or something and i went there and i went wanted to go to my favorite bedstop filled with memory foam Mm -hmm. and i put my foot down and i felt it was something you know sturdy it wasn't really memory foam oh it was like a bathtub with like it was bathtub with memory foam inside yeah and i couldn't see good enough because i came from you know a lighted room into a dark room okay your retina hasn't adjusted yet yes and I accidentally stepped on someone. Oh shit, there was someone in the bathtub inside? Yeah. You stepped on them? Yeah, I stepped on them. And I was so embarrassed, I immediately ran out. Like, <laughs> you didn't I didn't say know anything? what to say, no. Because I think he was even napping, you know? Oh, he was sleeping in there? Yeah. It, it was a bad. And I just ran out, and I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and then I talked with my friend later, and then she told me, like, 
we have a guy on our team and he is complaining on the Google forum, you know, that today someone tried to took a pillow under his head that he was sleeping on and also someone stepped on him today. <laughs> Oh, that was you. Really, man. Wait, it's he like, complained on Google Forms. Yes, about he complained that. on the internal Google Forms. People should be more careful about uh, entering the room. I mean, that's a fair point, right? <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose, but it's still. Oh, man. That, that was so funny. Yeah. Well, at least he never figured out it was you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I, now unless he watches knows. the podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then I'm discovered. Then knows, maybe this blows up and gets like 10 million views. <laughs> <laughs> Stepping on people in Google. Yeah, but okay, in that case, you know, we're happy anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, that that was serious. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it was the last time you worked for Google because then I don't know if you got the idea because I worked for D Shaw. Yeah. But you were like, okay, I want to do some finance. Yeah, I wanted to do some finance, so I applied to Jane Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know for for viewers that might not know it's something similar to D Shaw, I guess. Yeah. There. So I made a video about yeah. my D Shaw internship, and like in the description of the video, I give like links to a few similar companies. Um, it's like. Well, the Shaw Jane Street, maybe Renaissance, Jump Capital, yeah, Two Sigma, two Sigma Citadel, Citadel, yeah, like a bunch of them. And Jane Street yeah. is like one of the ones that is known to be like super hard to get in. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like when you try to find on Quora, what's mm-hmm. the Jane Street interview like? They say it's the hardest you'll ever get from mm-hmm. the interview, and I, I, I have to say it was probably the hardest interview I ever had, mm-hmm. and it was very long. I had like four interviews hour each. Oh wow! Yeah, and they they usually have a process that works like. You get one interview, you get a second interview, and then they usually decide if they're gonna take you for the internship or not. I guess yeah. I was, I think I was good on the first, but I was bad on the second interview. Mm-hmm. So they wanted me to get a third interview on which I was like so-so. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth, I was very good. So that's how I got, but usually it's like, if you don't get it under two or three interviews, you won't get it. So oh, I wow. had like, I, I sent my, I remember I was like third interview done. I was sending to my friend, oh, I had three, three interviews now. He's saying, oh, you're probably not going to get it. Like, if oh, you have I three see. interviews and they haven't called you yet, you're probably not going to get it. But I got a fourth interview and I did get the internship. So, nice. but it was, it was, uh, it, it was good interviews and uh, very, very hard. I mean, it, it's maybe not that hard when it comes to the actual problems, but the surrounding questions that they ask you on the interviews, you know, it may be, you have to maybe explain your thinking a bit more than usually on the interviews, you know. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. you're talking with very smart people, so that's, I mean, yeah. that's good on the interview. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they know the solutions to the problems. Yeah, that also, but they, you know, sometimes they try to trick you. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I remember arguing with someone because I had a solution that, you know, the problem kind of looks symmetrical and my solution was asymmetrical in a way. Yeah. In the code that I did, and we were arguing that it's correct, and he said it's not. And then we were simulating on the board, and it turned out to be correct. Okay. But I know that it was interesting for me as well because I knew yeah. it was correct, but it seemed asymmetrical to me as well. And usually, when you know, when you have a kind of symmetrical problem, and you have an asymmetrical solution, it doesn't feel right. Yeah, that means it must be yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's something that feels wrong, but it was correct. It, it just the way it was doing stuff, it was asymmetrical oh, wow, yeah. in a way. So that that was you did the interview in London, right? And Jane yeah. Street is like one of the hedge funds that. Together with both the other ones well, that they are listed. not a hedge fund, I think. Really? Are they market makers? They are market makers, yeah. Oh, like they Citadel are, Securities. Yeah, and as I know, Jane Street, I don't think they take outside capital. Mm-hmm. I think they only work with their internal capital. And okay, yeah. as, as I know, the primary thing that they are doing is market making. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they have a bunch of awards for market making on, on the stock exchange and stuff like that. I think they're one of the biggest market makers there. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Together with Citadel Securities, I think they're also market makers. Mm. They're not a hedge but fund. But Citadel has a lot of stuff happening. Citadel right? also has they're a hedge fund. They're huge, yeah. They're pretty big, yeah. Um, but they're also, one thing that all of these have in common 
they're incredibly competitive, like about who they take. So I remember in Disha, almost all the people there were actually Harvard, MIT, Stanford. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I mean, we both were studying at the University of Zagreb. Yeah. So like, getting it from University of Zagreb was it was actually really hard. Um, there's like you have to really prove yourself so that they would actually take you. Yeah, yeah. In the group of interns from in the Janssen, there were also a bunch of people from MIT. Mm -hmm. I think some from Harvard. There were a few people from Poland, I think, mm -hmm. like three or four, maybe even. Poland's uh, P Polish people are very good at competitions, you know, yeah. in informatics, yeah, specifically. They have very good uh, problems and they have very good competitors there. So they usually, I guess, they can fly through the interviews pretty, pretty good. Oh wow, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah, and um, so a last thing I just want to briefly touch. Uh, so what, what do you want to do now? What are, what are you up to these days now that competitions and internships are done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Currently I'm exploring with a friend that should have been on the podcast that couldn't make it. Yeah, where is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he couldn't make it, unfortunately. Um, We're going to have drinks we, with him later, though. Yeah, <laughs> though, that, that's happening. And everything's going to get filmed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are going to do some crypto trading, you know, but mm -hmm. making stuff, uh, arbitrage and so on. We won't be actually going, you know, investing in crypto and uh, yeah. betting on going up or down it's more of a risk-free yeah well market we making and stuff things. like that yeah, i mean market making yeah. you have to have a capital so that's not the primary thing we're going to do it like cross exchange arbitrage so or oh, cool. so you're build your own exchange no just like like you do a cross exchange arbitrage opportunities oh, you see. find them yeah you make basically a maker on one exchange a taker on the other mm -hmm. and you initiate the taker only when you get filled on the maker side oh i see you basically so. always it's it's kind of like when you come into simple arbitrage, there is an opportunity present that you take. Yeah. But for the cross exchange mark making in this way, it's basically you wait for the opportunity to come, and when it comes, you grab mm -hmm. it from the other side as well. Oh, I see. It's more of a. Is it also it's, high it's frequency kind of a, trading? It doesn't have to be high frequency. It's it's not that high frequency. I mean, that depends on what you call high frequency trading. It's like yeah. you don't lose. You, you don't usually earn a lot on one trade. So, in that way, you do have to do a lot of trades too. Mm -hmm to make some money but uh, it's usually I guess m maybe not that as much as it would be if it was a simple arbitrage that finds you know differences and then maybe has some deposits on specific exchanges oh, and yeah. then could do fast short positions or something to to offset the risk because I remember we briefly worked with a company that was doing like super high frequency trading yeah yeah I, I worked yeah. for them as well yeah okay but, but they the were in the space forex. yeah they were in the crypto space but I mean yeah. there is space on the forex there is space on the crypto so yeah you know it's funny I'm like also now starting to think about going into crypto I mean I never like crypto because like I don't like the idea of investing but <laughs> uh, investment into into it, gambling, yeah. Yeah. but market making is actually there's so much potential yeah 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 I, yeah. I just just a few days I lost, lost some money on the uh, uh, if you see Terra USD and Luna situation happening there oh what happened it, there it, it, it was like uh, USD got defect they had like a stable coin that should be packed to one dollar it's called Terra USD oh yeah I and that. it got defect and then I bought a bunch Thinking it's gonna get packed again because it just seemed logical. Mm -hmm. Because like it's like buying a dollar for less than a dollar, right? Yeah. But the thing that happened was the downward spiral of everyone selling on the Terra USD. And the thing is, the whole ecosystem was built that that, that stablecoin wasn't actually backed by anything, but it was backed by a Luna currency. Mm -hmm. So it worked in a way that you can always exchange uh, USD in the value of let's say one dollar. So no matter what's the actual value that it's trading at at exchanges mm -hmm. you should theoretically be able to exchange it for one dollar of terra of luna sorry yeah and you sh can sell that luna on the open exchange and you kind of make an arbitrage there 
So you kind of put the price up by selling Luna. You can exchange it for Luna, yeah. and then Luna goes down, USD goes up, or should go up. But what happened is there was too much pressure, and everything just fell down. Luna lost like it was absurd. It lost like ninety nine point nine nine percent of its value or something. Oh like, wow! Yeah, it's you know, just it's dirt cheap. Yeah, and they, they printed the like they had to print new Luna to accommodate that exchange that I mentioned. There from USDT from USD to to Luna. And they flooded the market with Luna, and it just dropped like to under. I think it's I don't know how much it's trading now. It's probably something around a cent or something, and it oh. was trading in fifty dollars or something. Oh wow! Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and yeah. You're not the only person I'm talking to. I think last week I had lunch with a guy from MIT. Same exact story. Yeah. Exact same story. Now I just remembered it. Yeah, he also lost a lot of money on that. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was it was funny. Well, yeah. I mean, but I mean, that's in the end of the day, that is speculation. Market is, making is, is different. It is the market making is different. Yeah. This is this is it just seemed like you know a free free money you know. Yeah. And I just remember reading some article before from Vitalik uh, from Ethereum you know mm -hmm. about uh, he when, when there was like a coin with uh, Trump winning the election mm -hmm. and that coin had a payout of one if Trump doesn't win the election <laughs> and Trump didn't win the election and the coin was trading for 85 cents or something. <laughs> and that was like and he was like oh, that's free money I'm gonna take it you know yeah. he just bought a bunch and then. Eventually, it settled on one dollar, and he sold it for a fifteen percent, twenty yeah, percent yeah. so gain. There's right? no risk; you just have to be smart and I mean, figure it out. There is always things. risk, right? Okay, yeah, it's something just, can go wrong. Yeah, there is just the risk might be better than the upside, but you know. Yeah, true. It, with this, it was maybe too bit of too big of a downside risk, you know. Yeah. It just, it just. I mean, I, I bought it like when it started to return. I didn't, you know, buy it when it was going down. I bought it when it started to return. Oh no, it was like mm -hmm. it should be a. Quick seven, eight, ten percent, but it went down the hill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it went down the hill. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. It's well, now trading at ten cents or something instead of a dollar. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I I wish you good luck with Thanks. building the market making fund. Then, <laughs> do you remember were you part of the incident with uh, Mate and me when we were arguing with our teacher on on the premise that she can't prove something. With the math teacher? Yeah. Oh yeah, she got so yeah. I was there was the three of us. Three of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got into an argument with her, because she didn't say something exactly as she should. I think during the some, uh, what was it called? It was like some geometry. Stuff. Some geometry stuff in yeah. GeoGebra or something. Yeah. And she wasn't specific as she should have been. Yeah, we didn't understand the problem. Yeah, we didn't understand the problem, and she was frustrated us for not understanding yeah. it, saying that we are not understanding it on purpose, that yeah, we are yeah. trying to provoke her. Yes. And then Mati proved to her that she <laughs> can't prove that it's defined. <laughs> I remember that, and she was like, no, we are only going to talk in proofs now, bring the proof to the next. And then I remember a good friend of ours actually got an A from that problem because he... Even though he probably knew it was not defined, he just did what he probably thought was right there yeah. and got an A. And that was, that was funny, I, I remember. But he was very upset, I think. I mean, so overall, I, I really like our high school. I think... Yeah, it was a good high school. It was yeah. a very good high school. We yeah. learned so much. Like, without that high school, I would I don't know where I would be, but not in a good place, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, it must be something that's also challenging for some of the teachers to have kids that are just, like, so advanced in, like, certain subjects that even they can't keep up because, you know, they haven't been doing these things. Um, and I think some some teachers sometimes don't take that so well. I mean, most teachers yeah. are don't care, yeah. you know. It's like yeah, yeah. final. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a math teacher, you you focus on the like math stuff that you teach in high school. You don't focus on advanced competitions. Right, so, right. Yeah. If you remember, I think I told you that story once, because I remember we were talking about. I can't exactly remember what, mm -hmm. but I know I, I uh, mentioned uh, Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Mm -hmm. You know. 
And he was like, oh, I didn't hear about that. And then I remember on the next class, he actually informed himself about it and talked about it. Yeah. Which I was deeply impressed by. Yeah. Because it actually showed a teacher who can actually want to learn something, even though if a student says that to him, you know, he won't just disregard it. Yeah, yeah. Saying that's that quite impressive. Yeah, that was the most impressive thing for me that, that I'll always remember from high school, especially from that. Mate, if he was here... He would have talked about getting puking on, on the floor and then our <laughs> teacher cleaning it. Oh my god, that is... He almost okay. got, uh, what's it called? Uh, expelled? Not expelled, it was like a warning before expulsion. Yeah, so I think, I mean, we were all, I don't know how old we were all, but somehow everyone got super drunk at that competition. And I remember that like a scene I will never forget. I was asleep already and I, we were like sharing the room and I opened my eyes and I just see him on the bed like throwing up. <laughs> oh my God, it was so disgusting. I think I got an SMS message from him, you know, yeah. saying like, my man, I just puked on myself or something like <laughs> oh that. Oh my God. Yeah. And our teacher, that poor woman, she came in and started cleaning up because she was actually worried for him. <laughs> oh yeah. And, okay. that's, uh, and he was actually... How how good did he place that time? Was he won first. <laughs> that's, that's the worst thing. You know what happened actually why he won first place? So there was one type of problem. Like he didn't prepare properly for it. I mean, he's brilliant. Um, and the night before that, he's like, oh, Samuel, I found out one problem. I know. He I... told you to teach him how to solve yeah, it. Yeah. I was like, hey, can you explain that thing to me? <laughs> he won more points than and, you on that. Yeah. And that problem actually, like a similar problem came, which was a huge coincidence. And only I and him managed to score that. And then he ended up getting like an extra point in the experimental part. And he actually won the first prize. <laughs> I was so pissed. Like, how could, he, how could he win that? And like, everyone was making fun of me. Like, when he went back to school, I remember an English teacher. Um, I mean, okay, I didn't make, speak any English, so she was always making fun of me. Um, but, yeah, she, she was like, Samuel, I thought that you were good in physics. <laughs> that was so embarrassing. Yeah. I, I was, like, the worst kid in the elementary school. Remember, I, like, got kicked out of elementary school. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really horrible. Then in the first year, today I met the headmaster of, of our high school. He was also commenting the first year I was, like, still tr causing some trouble. And then, I think like second or third year, I slowly started behaving. Do you remember in high school when you got your cell phone uh, taken? Oh, yeah. And then you didn't wait for the teacher to give your cell phone back, but you just decided to take it yourself on the end of the class. Yeah. Oh, he freaked out. It was from out. the current headmaster of the school. Yeah. I actually, I feel, <laughs> I feel so bad about doing that because he was really angry at me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you were even doing earlier. Do you remember I, I when you were watching your phone under the microscope on the biology? Yeah, the yeah. Pixels? <laughs> I was like fascinated that you can see the individual pixels. Yeah, on you the could phone. see the pixels. It, it was nice. Pretty yeah. Cool, yeah, yeah, it was nice. I don't know why they were upset with that. It's like one no, of the I think very. That wasn't a problem. That Maybe, wasn't a problem. Yeah. No, was... no one was upset. I don't know what you were doing with your phone when your the teacher took the phone, but know. probably just watching a movie or something like that in class. Could be, could be, huh? You know, it's funny. I never had a good grades in physics, so I went to the physics <laughs> Olympiad. Yeah, I remember the... you had a B in physics. I even had a C initially. <laughs> I got a C in physics. <laughs> Then I started going to the competitions. At some point, I managed to, when I, after I won a bronze medal at the Physics Olympiads, I think I was one of the youngest people to go, actually. Okay. No, the youngest people to ever win a bronze medal. Um, and only after that, I managed to get the C up to a B. 
She's so sad. Yeah, that's yeah. how physics was at our school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even she, if you got a medal in physics Olympiad, you won't get like, it. Doesn't, ma- doesn't mean you get good an A in physics. Yeah. And only the very last year because I started applying to MIT. Yeah. Actually, so you had to have an A. Yeah, yeah. I, had to, I had to like pull myself together and get an A. But it was for stupid stuff that you didn't have an A. It was like you didn't have your notebook filled out. You know. Yeah. It was, it was like stupid stuff. I mean, yeah. Or sometimes like, well, I would be asked stuff during the exam. I mean, you mentioned that just before the interview as well. Yeah. Like you would be asked for. Essentially, you know, what was the notation that was we used, used in, class. in the class on which you weren't present because you yeah, were because maybe you were competition, competition or something. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah. Thank, um, you. thank you so much for being in the podcast. It was a super interesting discussion. Yeah. Thank All right. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you guys for watching. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. As you may have noticed, we are not at our usual location. We are actually in Zagreb, Croatia, which is where I grew up. Super excited to be here because I can catch up with some old friends like Dominic and other friends. And I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, please give it a thumbs up. Consider subscribing to my channel. And you can also watch some other videos like how to prepare for math competitions over here, which is super related to informatics. And if you want to watch some other podcast episodes, you can click over here or over here. Thank you so much for watching and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.